Welcome to Conversations in Clinical Trial Readiness, a series featuring life science executives who share their stories and insights related to clinical operations and clinical trial readiness. My name is Kelly Rich, and I'm the EVP of Product and Clinical Research Solutions at Archimedics. Learn from our experts as they share their key learnings, obstacles, and success stories. Listen in to hear how health and life science organizations can better equip teams and clinicians to accelerate the development and adoption of new clinical treatments and best practices. Our guest today is Ahmed Hamouda, Head of Clinical Operations for the Middle East and Africa at Ray. Welcome to our video and podcast, Ahmed. Hi, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate that. Sure. Can you tell the audience a little bit about your background? Sure, certainly. So uh, my name is Ahmed Hamouda. I'm the Head of Clinical Operations for the Middle East and Africa. I've been in uh, in this position for the past four years, uh, actually, for Ray, working for Ray Zero. I'm responsible for all the clinical operations, uh, clinical trials, research, uh, real-world evidence taking place uh, in the region. Uh, before that, I used to work for another CRO. I was wor- working in Denmark and um, uh, in Europe. And also before that, I worked in the Far East. I was in uh, Malaysia. And uh, yeah, I've been, I've been through different uh, positions. Some of these uh, positions were in the CRO and um, the others in the pharmaceuticals. So I've been actually working on both sides, if I can say, serving for Europe, Middle East and Africa, as well as far, uh, far East. That's great. I'm really excited about our conversation today. I think you've uh, served in regions that many of our audience members haven't yet had an opportunity. So it should be uh, really informative for them. So thanks again. Um, mm-hmm. let's, just, welcome. Yeah, let's just start off and uh, talk a little bit about why uh, Africa and Middle East markets uh, could be just a really great opportunity for clinical trials right now? Mm-hmm. This is actually a really good, good question. Uh, right now, um, Africa and Middle East have been uh, uh, booming. Um, they have been not on the world, uh, world map because the, all the clinical trials have been focused on, uh, in Europe and the US. Um, most of the clinical trials, they have certain factors to, to be conducted and, and styled. You need the population, you need the right patients, you need um, uh, regulatory authorities, you need qualified investigators, proper sites, and of course, uh, a good monitor. So all these factors have been there without having a proper scope or proper uh, uh, concentration on this, on this uh, region. Uh, this region has... The, the, the patient pool, you have the patients, you have a lot of diseases. This has been proven with a high prevalence rate and nobody have been gone close to, 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 these, to these countries. Uh, you have great calibers, a whole qualified work team, um, a big institutions, a big hospitals. Uh, of course, a lot of uh, uh, well-established regulatories uh, you have a lot of uh, like the Saudi FDA, the Jordanian FDA, the Egyptian FDA is coming as well. And you have all the, all the factors coming up for you to get into this region, get your clinical trial, understand certain diseases, trying different treatments. However, all the, all the sponsors, all the multinational pharmaceuticals, they can only focus on the US and European market. A lot of version, if I would call it a version market, needs a lot of attention, a lot of people to refocus and re-establish these thoughts towards such a version market. Mm-hmm. No, great, great points. I mean, certainly if someone asked me, do I have global experience? I would say yes. 
Um, but you're right. Almost all of it is in Europe or Central and Latin America. And, mm -hmm. and none of it would be in Africa or the Middle East. And I think that would probably be true for, for many of my counterparts who don't have that necessarily on their radar and, you know, continue to kick off trials kind of with what they're comfortable with. So um, thanks for, you know, thanks for sharing all of that. So can you tell us a little bit, it seems like you have focused uh, on Egypt in particular. Can you, can you share with the audience why that's been a focus? Well, I've been, because I've, I've been working for old regions, so I cannot actually call it like a whole focus because mm -hmm. simply I've been uh, working on the big markets within the region. Those big markets represent mainly like 80% of the clinical operations taking place in the region, like Egypt, Saudi, Jordan, Emirates. These countries have been focusing on not only Egypt. However, still, I'm, I'm working on different countries that have still trying to establish clinical uh, research awareness. I'm talking about Mali, I'm talking about Cameroon, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, Senegal. These countries are still, you know, on the entry level. We're trying to focus on these countries as well. So I'm not letting go of some countries over the, over the others. But when we talk about population, when we talk about certain prevalence or certain disease, um, we actually trying to hit the biggest populations. The, the Middle East is actually billions of people. I'm talking about also Africa. They're lacking certain, uh, 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 you know, focus. And this is actually what we do. We're trying to push on, on all directions. We're trying to help sponsors, We're trying to help regulatory authorities. We, we even gave some GCP trainings for some regulatory authorities, some ethics committees. We gave them a lot of trainings on how to, uh, uh, to build a really legitimate ethics committee to that um, in order to discuss and give decisions in, in some clinical trials. So, so it's, it's, it's about all the countries that can uh, represent big potential in terms of population, in terms of prevalence of disease and et cetera. Yeah, as you've been mentioning, you know, in this region, you're basically saying we've got the institutions, we've got the workforce, we've got the clinical research naive patients, we've got mm -hmm. disease prevalence. Um, so, you know, if a sponsor is here, hears that and is like kind of ready to move, what regulations or unique requirements do they need to understand about this region? Mm -hmm. This is a really good question, because if I'm a sponsor, I really need to understand what I'm going to do. Uh, before investing money. When, when you talk about money, then it's really important to properly get and, and do your homework, understand what are the regulations, what exactly are the timelines. And to be, to be honest, we cannot generalize one regulation that fits all the countries. We're talking about a lot of countries, hundreds in here. So if, if I would ask or if, if I would seek advice for before investing in a certain country, definitely I would go for someone who totally understand the regulations, totally understand what should I do, how to make sure that I submit properly, submit in a good in a, in a proper time, uh, fill it in a way to, to, to avoid having any comments or delays or things like that. So in some countries we have sequential, uh, uh, submissions, like for example, you go for the local ethics committee for an IRB, and then you go to the MOH or whatever. Sometimes they have parallel uh, uh, submissions. So unless you go and target the certain uh, person that knows the regulations quite well, know has the experience in order to avoid any delays. Any delays will cost you money as a sponsor, of course, definitely. So if I would advise certain sponsors 
to in, to get into a certain country, invest into a certain country, definitely have to know by heart the regulations. We have to go to someone qualified and experienced with those countries and how to deal with the regulatory authorities. Each and every country has a certain thoughts of how can you deliver the, the idea of the research to, to, the, to, to the regulatory authorities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can see that despite the obvious overwhelming opportunity there, you know, that's probably one of the challenges for people newly entering that market is the, um, the uniqueness of each region mm-hmm. that you're describing. So, exactly. so maybe just, um, you know, dig in a little bit more to giving some examples of what might be different about the site selection process that people might be used to in the U.S., but um, how, how might that be different in this, in this region? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for this question. Actually, in the U.S., it might be a bit different uh, than, um, than in, the, in this region, in the Middle East and Africa. Of course, in the, in the U.S., the, um, how many clinical trials going on? Uh, many sites are already uh, aware of, uh, of the regulations, about the processes, the practice, uh, clinical trials, ICIGCP. They have what are called site networks. Everything is on the, on the radar. Um, right now in the region, it's a bit different because you have to make sure that uh, the sites that it will be that is going to be selected are prepared enough. Which means that you have to go for a lot of big uh, exercises. You have to do um, a lot of trainings, a lot of um, preparations. Uh, for a certain site to be selected to make them ready for having a clinical trial uh, at their premises, which means that you have to go inside, check it out yourself from scratch. Some of those sites that I'm talking about, maybe it's the first time to to conduct a clinical trial, but they have all the patients. They have Mm -hmm. a lot of qualified investigators. They even maybe know uh, uh, GCP quite well, but maybe they're lacking maybe a certain... um, requirements maybe it can be very simple requirements like a cupboard locker uh, a laptop a stable internet connection things like that so mm-hmm. while you're satisfying all these requirements then you have like a perfect site the main idea here and this might be a bit tricky you have to make sure that you understand the requirement of each site what what is missing from each site to make it a perfect qualified site to be conducted into a certain cl- uh, clinical trial of course it it's different from having an observation clinical trial and intervention clinical trial. Of course, it varies also as well with the requirements. Yeah, it sounds like to get good results from the sites, you need to sort of personalize your approach to them and, and um, you know, really provide each site with what they need rather than assume they all need the same things. Exactly. Sort of what yeah, what I'm understanding. That's great. Exactly, um, exactly. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So is there any key differences that um, a sponsor would need to be aware of around uh, IRB and ethics committee processes? Yes, it was actually if I'm comparing before COVID and during COVID, of course, a lot of differences. And uh, for for us, somehow it helped in a good way, which means that maybe before that in some countries we used to have uh, paper submissions like hard copies. I know that maybe in the U.S. it's no longer the, the, the issue, but what happened here that there was a, a positive impact for COVID. Right now, we have most of the submissions are electronic. So now the region have been, you know, um, moving towards really electronic submissions and paperless 
submissions as well. So this is this is a really good um, impact, I would say, from COVID. Maybe the only good impact that we received from COVID. But yeah, apart from that, of course, you need to understand what to submit. If you're reading a question, if you're not experienced and you're providing certain documents as a response to the to the ethics committee, of course, you have to be experienced. Maybe it means something different. You have to understand the mentality of each regulators from a country to a country. Uh, it's, it's really tricky because if, if they mean something and you really thought it's something else, then it will actually cause delays. You will have to wait till you get a comment and definitely they will respond back till you understand what they actually seeking for that. Yeah, you know, great points and certainly, uh... Uh, us at Archimedics share your small silver lining of COVID in that, you know, as a technology platform, we've certainly seen some of the obstacles and hesitancy to try new things uh, melt away uh, or at least accelerate their adoption and moving away from some of those old traditional processes that, that can be better implemented with new technology. So it's that small sliver of if, if there was anything good out of COVID, um, technology adoption appears to potentially be, be one of those things. So, so we're happy about that, that part too. Um, so it might be a good time to just like share with our audience some of the challenges you've encountered in this region and how you know, Ray and, and, and your teams have overcome them. Mm -hmm. Great. So, as I said in the beginning, we had a lot of potential in the, um, in the, in the region. However, as I said, in terms of awareness, in terms of training, in terms of technology literacy, uh, of course, now the clinical research, the clinical industry are towards uh, uh, technology. And of course, they're just been evolving a year after another. So right now, when you get such a country, maybe in Africa, country X, where they had absolutely no clue about clinical research and you get in, into such an evolution of clinical research and a lot of technology coming up, definitely they will just a bit maybe panic a bit. This is when it comes to technology. However, you're trying to let them understand that the importance of coping the world. This is really important to put the region back on, on the uh, international clinical research map. Uh, of course, awareness, continuous trainings. It's not about maybe having a clinical trial and that's it. No, you have to maintain continuous education and continuous uh, uh, trainings and keep them qualified all the time, all along the year. You have to be ready at all time. Whenever a sponsor approach, hey, listen, I need to have a clinical trial about maybe rare disease oncology, then it's one, two, three. These are the sites. Um, great uh, contacts with the investigators as well. All the KOLs from the region, you have also mm -hmm. to make sure that they are uh, uh, clinical, clinically maybe um, uh, ready for any clinical research or any clinical trial at any time. As I said as well, the regulators, when you make sure that you will maybe um, want to, uh, and it happened to us as well in different countries, we want to have conduct a clinical trial when we found out there are no IRBs or ethics committees. So it's actually took us like, hey, listen, we need to start way from scratch. Like we need to, to let them know what's an ethics committee. We need to let to help them to put SOPs uh, to, to, to build up an ethics committee, to let them know what is an ethics committee, what are the ethics committee members. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's actually, it helped a lot so that um, to, to, to move to this, um, to this situa situation that we have right now at the moment. Yeah, I mean, certainly our our customers, you know, as a 
you know, clinical trial readiness learning platform, right? And so it's asynchronous and, and on demand. It, it does sort of what you're describing. It helps overcome this barrier of making sure sites are continuously ready. And you can mm-hmm. demonstrate to that to these potential new sponsors so that they can get over their comfort of using the same sites over and over again and, and can reach out into these new sites that, as you say, are perfectly prepared uh, and have the patients, but maybe just are a little less clinical trial savvy uh, and need mm-hmm. to demonstrate you know, those skills. So I think that's a, a great topic to, to continue to explore, right? Because we want to see diversity in patient population, but we also want to see it in sites. And I don't, I think what the data even now still says that like 85% of patients are still out in community clinics, right? But most of our sites, you know, are not. So it's challenges we all, all have to overcome. Um, talking a little bit more about global trials, can you share a little bit more about the tools and processes that you'd, you know, like to discuss that you think are making a meaningful impact on how your teams can execute or monitor clinical trials in this region? Yeah, I was just thinking maybe about our experience before so that we can uh, how can we attract um, uh, sponsors to include the region in global clinical trial by uh, focusing on, uh, on, on certain patients and certain prevalence? And it happened, as I said before, in the rare disease. Um, and so that we can mask the, the need for, for you know, awareness and trainings and infrastructure, proper infrastructure by highlighting the availability of patients and things like that. Okay, so yeah, I can see where a sponsor, certainly they have to, in rare disease, they have to go find the patients, you know, all yeah. over the globe. Um, yeah. How do you move from that to having them seek the region out uh, for other more prevalent disease uh, or therapeutic areas? Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I, I will just give a, um, an example that we had already. Um, when we had a sponsor who had a clinical trial uh, about rare disease, and unfortunately this trial uh, had to be terminated in the U.S. because they had no patients. And um, at that time, we, we approached the sponsor and said, hey, listen, why, not, why don't you just uh, conduct a clinical trial in the Middle East? He said, no way. I said, yeah, we, our, our figures shows that this, um, this disease is, is there. You will find definitely patients. And guess what? After conducting this clinical trial, it was a huge success. And apart, apart from, uh, as apart from, from a global clinical trial, this country was uh, um, the third uh, in terms of uh, global recruitment. It was oh, a huge great. success. We received we received a global award for that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the, these questions can be a little difficult because you know you don't want to set like certain numbers in stone. But in general, I know it's pretty common to get the question: Okay, I'm going to come to this region. Uh, about how long is study startup going to take? How do you mm-hmm. answer that? What What do you tell potential sponsors? Well, of course, it depends on a lot of factors, of course, but I just try to be as transparent as possible. So in some certain countries, we can say maybe from 30 to 60 days, but sometimes it can go up to 90 days. I know it might be um, a bit challenging in some countries, of course, when they are a bit maybe lacking some solid regulations some solid timelines. However, this is fast in the timelines, how to push, how to make these 90 days maybe uh, done in, in 30 days. This is what, I'm, what, I, what I meant about going directly to some locals, person who totally understand the regulations of the country, person who knows the, all the tricky parts, what do they mean to make it shorter, um, to avoid any unnecessary delays, avoid 
putting any uncertainty there, this is definitely pretty positive. So that will definitely uh, make use of the time properly. Yeah, I think most sponsors would be pretty pleased with that duration, honestly, and they'd be mm-hmm. trying to prevent ones that, you know, balloon up longer. I think they might follow up with, the, you know, the next question might be, are there any logistical issues with getting supplies and or study product in and out of these countries? And how have you managed that? Mm-hmm. In some countries, yeah, uh, uh, this actually definitely, it happens all, all the time as well. So to get products uh, products in the countries um, um, is getting easier and easier. Maybe back in two or three years back, it, it was a bit of a challenge. Uh, I believe everything has been sorted out. Maybe in some countries, we're still having some challenges maybe to, uh, to export some samples. Uh, some of the big countries, we're still having some uh, issues with exporting samples in some gl- global clinical trial when we have uh, a central lab maybe in Europe or in the US. But of course, we're, we have been working on that. And in some countries, we have worked it out and we, we have reached an agreement with the regulators and successfully uh, uh, it ended up really good. Oh, that's good news. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll, I'll ask, uh, you know, one one final question about just the patient populations there. How would you describe to people um, how do patients feel about participating in the clinical trial process in this region? Mm-hmm. Um, if I may add that to the challenges as well, because you know mm-hmm. when we talk about Africa or the Middle East, the awareness of um, if if I'm going to participate in a clinical trial or I'm being uh, you know uh, tested um, for uh, whatever drug or whatever. So it's, it has been a challenge as well. So that to change this kind of man, mindset uh, uh, about a patient, maybe an elder patient, an uneducated uh, subject who, um, who would like maybe somehow to get treatment, but do not understand what's a clinical trial. But he's just like afraid of, of, of the clinical trial just because he doesn't know anything about it or haven't heard about it before, or a certain perception that clinical trials is something like really, you know, freaky or something like that. So we have been, you know, trying to uh, uh, develop um, uh, some, sort of, some sort of um, uh, training, some sort of, um, you know, sessions to increase the awareness, to understand uh, to let the, the, the community understand the importance of clinical trial. And it worked really well, especially with the COVID uh, pandemic. Um, uh, and now everybody in, all around the region knows the importance of having clinical trials, especially for COVID. We have been working in different clinical trials for the COVID vaccines as well. So we have been trying to go from door to door, trying to let them know the importance of being part of uh, uh, COVID, uh, COVID, COVID treatments, uh, uh, clinical trial, or even COVID vaccines, clinical trials. People have been dramatically uh, uh, looking to, to uh, such clinical trials or such project differently now. Mm-hmm. They have been totally, totally uh, uh, mm-hmm. open for such an experience. If, if I'm comparing that to, to uh, maybe two or three years back, it has been a huge success, I would say. Well, maybe we have to expand our silver lining a little bit and say that the pressure that was put upon developing COVID vaccines, you know, caused us to get more information out faster. And mm-hmm. maybe and maybe that in the long run will improve recruitment uh, in this region. So uh, mm-hmm. I think that's a good a good point. So, Ahmed, is there anything else you would really want to share with our audience before we finish? Well, I just maybe to high, I just wanted maybe to highlight the importance of um uh, giving such um, such an opportunity 
thank you to all those patients out there. I'm talking about those patients with rare disease, genetic disorders, patients that have been away, totally away from, from the map. Uh, there, there have been uh, those families that has been desperately in need to identify maybe what their uh, child had, what are this un, un, undiagnosed uh, disease is. Um, those patients really need um, all those pharmaceuticals, all those maybe CROs, and of course, with uh, support of all the vendors, technology providers, all this team, I would say, a whole team, to get there, uh, work really hard, make, make the best out of this version market. And I'm really sure that we can definitely help those patients, all subjects over there in the region uh, to, to be better and better. Appreciate that. You've convinced me. So. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to speak with us today, Ahmed. And um, why don't you share with the audience, where can they learn more about Ray? Definitely. So, of course, we have our website, ray-zero.com. And, uh, of course, I would be more than happy to support any of, of, of um, uh, anybody that would like to know more about the regulations, know more about certain country, anything in the region. I would definitely be more than happy to, um, uh, to support them. Uh, I can even share my email and contacts as well with you so that we can uh, help them uh, um, to be part of this, um, of this, uh, <laughs> sorry, I don't know. <laughs> no, it, <laughs> it sounds great. And clearly you'd be a good resource for, for people looking to explore um, Africa and the Middle East for their clinical trials. So I, I think that's great. And I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Kelly. I really appreciate it. It was a really good and interesting interview. I really liked it. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Conversations in Clinical Trial Readiness. If you're interested in learning more about our team, head to our website, archimedics.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. If you like what you've just heard, please share with a friend and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks for joining us.